This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official, and I cannot stress this enough, official Mission Impossible podcast. It's Drew Taylor, once again joined by Charles Hood. Charles, how you feeling? I feel great, Drew. This is a a great day. It's exciting times. We're doing a little something different today. We are. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm excited to just talk about, uh, you know, a little bit of our history, why, why we love Mission Impossible, you know? That's right. We are going to be talking about why we love Mission Impossible, our history with the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about our history. So, I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a lot of things to... I've got some, like, headlines of what I'd like to hit in terms of things that I love about these movies. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. Do you want to talk about our past with it, too? We could do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that we both loved the, the original 1996 film, I think, from that first trailer on. Yeah. We were in, right? Yeah, it was all in. Obviously, I've talked about it so many times that, you know, my dad told me when the trailer came out, you got to go back and watch the old show. And so I went and did that. But you were you never really took to the old show as much. No, still haven't. To be honest. No, it's it's really great. It's It's great. great. Come on. You know, we'll bring up a little bit of something about the show in a bit from some of the things I've because we we did talk about an old episode that we really loved that we can get into later. But yes. Yeah. You know, we and and then we didn't start seeing the Mushin movies together until MI2. We saw that together because by that time we had met. We didn't meet until after the first movie came out. Yes, that's true. But we saw MI2. We appreciated it for what it was. Yes. We did not see MI3 together, but we saw MI4 together. Yeah. Which really set us on this whole path. That's really... That was really the beginning of it all. You know, blame Brad Bird. Uh, Yeah, because I think for three, you were living on the East Coast, and I was living in Los Angeles at that point in 2006. Yes. And so we, we were, you know... We were not uh, together for that. Sadly, it was. It was. Uh, Do you know what theater you saw it in? Three. Yeah. I I actually had. I went through some old movie tickets recently and saw that I, I did see it twice in theaters. And one time I saw it at the Grove. I'd, I'd have to look up and see on my like letterboxed uh, log of of when I where I saw it the second time. But I think the first time I saw it was the Grove uh, here in Los Angeles. What about you? I saw it at the Zigfield in New York, which I'm so glad I did because that is not a theater that's awesome. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. theater. That's really tragic. That theater is really cool. That's a really great place to see a movie. Man, yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm at the Grove. <laughs> the Jeez. Grove. Ugh. 
Oh, you know what? Actually, the first time I saw it, I was in Omaha, Nebraska, visiting family. And so I probably saw it with my dad there. And the second time I saw it was at the Grove. Okay. Those were the two times I saw it in theaters. Yeah, that was that was it. And then from then on, Ghost Protocol, that was when we started texting about it. Yes. Because <laughs> you still lived on the, on the East Coast at that point, right? We saw it together in New York City, the Lincoln Square IMAX, which we talk about all yep. the time, that experience of seeing it in that IMAX and hooting and hollering when Tom Cruise said, light the fuse. We were just hooked. But then I went back to, because that was over the holidays, the Gross Protocol came out in December. And then I went back to Los Angeles. We weren't living together. But then were you in LA? By the, you, we saw Rogue Nation together at the Chinese theater, the IMAX there. We did. Opening night, we were at the uh, Chinese theater. Yes. We had the time of our lives there. That was a great experience. And then it just the obsession continued. We just kept talking about it. Um, and then uh, by that time, before when the, when the when the trailer came out for Fallout, I think we were like, I think we need to do a podcast. Yeah, because there have got to be other people out there like us who are obsessed with these movies. Yeah, um, but I've got so I've got I made a list of five things of, of why I why for me and I'm sure you're going to agree with some of these of, of why I like sort of five headlines of why I love Mission Impossible. Okay. And so you want me, to, you want me to, should we hit these up one by one? I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if there's other, you know, other ways to do this, but this is kind of what I was thinking. Sure. I'll, I'll chime in with, uh, if I disagree or have an additional yeah. uh, point, go ahead, Charles. So, yeah, I mean, to me, these movies, um, like these, it's, it's the spy genre. So of course, you know, there's action in there as well. But I think maybe most importantly, what makes these movies really special is that it's also the con artist genre. I don't even know if that's really a genre, but they're con artist movies, you know, and that's part of what going back to the old TV show. So much of it is about deceiving the their opponents and their villains of the movie of the of the show and the movie. Uh, and, you know, so like, like mousetraps that we've talked about, like, you know, the opening scene of Fallout, the, when they trick the bad guy, they trick Delbrook in the hospital bed. You know, that scene is, as they call a mousetrap, where they, they, you know, trick a villain into thinking that they're somewhere else or they were injured and uh, whatever. You know, they, they're, they're, they've been in a coma for a long time when it's really only been a couple hours. Those mousetraps, they go back to the old show, back to that. This is the episode I wanted to bring up. We watched this for the old for the old show. Uh, our old po- podcast was uh, Operation Rogosh, which I think is an, one of the my favorite episodes of TV ever. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. That that is an episode. Even if you're not interested in watching the old show, please go back and watch that one. It is yeah. absolutely astounding, and maybe it'll start you off on a on a quest of your own to watch the old shows and to yeah. dig into the history of Mission Impossible. It's just so clever, and it's it, that's you know the, those mouse traps are just such an important part of what makes Mission Impossible so special and so clever. And and uh, yeah, that's like I think that's the third episode of the original show from 1966, and it's a really awesome episode operation rogosh so that to me is like it's it's all those things it's the spy genre action genre but that also that it's a con artist movie like that's kind of that's what makes it special to me i don't know how do you how do you feel about that yeah i mean i think you know these movies are spy movies but there's so much more and i think there are so many layers and you know they're oh the other thing that's so fun about them is that they are about making movies because uh-huh. they all are actors they are actors in these 
productions. Yes. Right? Like that's that's one of my that's one of my later headlines, but we can get into it. We can get into let's it now. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was my that was my last one I was gonna do. But yes, it's about it's about filmmaking. Yeah, going back and that also goes back to the TV show because so much of the as we we do we only got into maybe I think maybe ten episodes of the old show, but we did look at some of them. And that was the thing that struck us at the time was it it's about performance and it's about creating like special effects and they're doing all these things to deceive the bad guys. And it's that's what is so cool. And that's what makes it so awesome to do our show, which is a celebration of filmmaking, because these movies are a celebration of filmmaking because they're kind of about filmmakers in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, makeup and uh, prosthetics and fooling somebody into thinking something yeah. different. It's just amazing. And, and, play, and playing parts. They're all playing parts. Right. They're doing performance. And it's like, it's, it's so cool. It's, and then, and that's, what's so great about why McCorry is, he's so good at, at, uh, at playing up the process of how the process of making these movies like feeds into the, the movies themselves. When you hear, you hear Ethan Hunt saying, you know, I'm working on it or we'll figure it out. Like all these things, like everything bleeds into the movies themselves. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think they've become sort of more openly autobiographical as the McCory iterations have gone on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is really a, a something that's really amazing is just how much these movies are about filmmaking. So sorry to sorry to step on your list, Charles. But no, no, it's great. I mean, it's so true. I mean, you just watch like how they're you know they're using all these. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, when you're making a movie, it's more like camera equipment and things like that. But it's they're using their equipment to like deceive and to put on a show, sort of, and to, like and that, and like I said, that like that goes back to the old television series. It was all. It's always kind of been about filmmaking which is so cool for us to make this show which is a celebration of filmmaking because that's what mission is as well love it we'll be back with more after the break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, I mean, the other thing, this is such a huge topic to bring up as just one headline, but I wanted to do it. It has a, a main topic and then a subheading, and that is the music, and then as the subheading, and use of silence. Both of those things, to me, are, are like a huge thing of what makes me love Mission Impossible. And again, it goes back to the old show and how that show was revolutionary at the time, the way that it used music and the way that it used silence. 
and Lalo Schifrin's themes that he wrote for the show like the i mean the, 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 the even just the theme itself is so unique and that it's done in five four time you know most like pop songs and things you hear are, are four four time and so it's a a very unique time signature for a piece of music and that's what the mission theme is and you know they would have long passages of the show that were music driven with nothing but music driving them so like the, the music had to be good the show would never be what it was if it wasn't for the music because those scenes, those sequences never would have worked without the music being as good as it is. Yeah. And the movies, I mean, can you think of a film series that is engaged with this level of composer talent? I know. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you go from Danny Elfman to Hans Zimmer to Michael Giacchino to Joe Kramer to Lauren Balf, and they're just all doing their own thing with it. Each time. And even Giacchino with his two scores and Lauren Balfe with his two scores, there are variations for each one that they've done. It's amazing. Yeah, the, the, the differences in approach and they all they each suit their movie perfectly. They do. And they're so important. And again, that, that bedrock of the, sh- the Lalo Schifrin themes, we talk about how each composer uses the plot and the theme yes. music so differently and so uniquely. Unfortunately, we didn't get the plot theme, though, from... Hans Zimmer in two. Hans, what were you doing? <laughs> Everybody else did it. Yeah, I mean, two is a different thing entirely musically. It's a different beast. <laughs> it is. Uh, they, they, maybe there just wasn't room for the plot theme in that kind of approach. <laughs> it was either Limp Biscuit or the plot theme, but not both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and that's such an amazing choice. I, I'd be, I, I, we got to get Danny Elfman on the show at some point because I really want to ask him because I know you know we've talked to Paul Hirsch, the editor of the first movie, and and we've talked to Brian De Palma about uh, about the, Danny Elfman's work on the first movie, and they you know they talked about how De Palma worked really closely with Elfman to develop where the music should go and what it should be, you know, because they had to work in such a short amount of time as well because Elfman came in late, replacing Alan Silvestri. And that uh, I'm just I wonder where the plot who who's who like looked like how familiar Elfman was with the original show to know, hey, we got to bring in the plot theme too. like who who's thought like we got to bring in the plot theme too. I just think that's so cool that they did that. And it's right there from the opening scene of the first movie. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, Danny Elfman does strike me as someone who is very well versed in 60s culture. So something tells me he might have, you know, cherry picked that. From the start, but it is interesting that it didn't return until the third movie. And Elfman, I don't think he even really ever fully did the full plot theme. He kind of teased it throughout the whole movie. And then Giacchino full on does it in three and does it in an amazing way. And obviously we talked to Giacchino as well. We've talked to, we just need to get Elfman and Zimmer. We've talked to all the composers other other than that. And of course we need to get Lalo Schifrin as well as Lauren badgered us and told us that we need to make sure that we get Lalo Schifrin on the show. We're working on it. We're trying. We will we'll do our best. But I also want to talk about the use of silence because, like I said, the old show would also do that. Sometimes they would have suspense sequences that didn't have music. And I think what year was Top Copy? Because obviously Mission Impossible 1 and the, the big sequence that De Palma did, it was in the 60s. Was it also 66? Or was it 64, maybe? So, it sounds like... Because I'm wondering if the old show was influenced by Top Copy also. It was 64. 
Yeah, so I think I so I think that use of silence for a, a suspense sequence like that, which obviously goes back to Hitchcock as well, and North by Northwest, and the the big airplane sequence in the cornfields, and that's that was all silent, and that was amazing. So anyway, yeah, the, and then you know we've got the silent sequence that uh, that that Brian De Palma does in the first movie with uh, with the Langley heist, of course. Brad Bird, as he told us when we talked to him, he's got his silent sequence. Which is when they're in the hallway using the screen. Yeah, that was his his use of silence. Have there been other uses of silence in the movies themselves too, where they've done this kind of? That's uh, that to me. Just those two sequences alone are enough for me to bring it up and talk about because that that first movie when De Palma does, we've talked about this before. It's nine minutes of like a few whispered words, but other than that, it's silence for nine minutes in that Langley heist. The bathroom sequence in Fallout has no right, no music. music. Right? Yeah. It's just sound effects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just use of sound, use of silence, like all these things are really, it's just, it's so artfully done and uh, we love it. I just, uh, I wanted to bring that up as one of my, one of my headlines. Is there anything else you want to say about music or silence before I move to my next one? No, I, I think you, you hit it. I mean, I, I we, yeah, we, we're obsessed with all the, the music of all these movies and, you know, it's also interesting how few songs are in these movies. Yes. You know, there's like the uh, Ico Ico and two, there's the Frank Sinatra song and four, but there's, there's, we are fam, we are family in three. We are family in three. And there's the, the, the cranberry, the cranberry song at the end of one. There's always like yeah. one song. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very rigidly controlled. But um, McCory, McCory really hasn't done, oh, he does do La Vie and Rose and Fallout, although it's not really. Her, there's also the like the nightclub scenes. They have they have kind of music, but not like songs, right? That you would recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very small amount of of songs. It's really music driven. The scores are so important. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these action movies don't have a lot of melody in score in their scores, and so it's it's awesome to have these movies that are so music driven and and melodic in their scores, so that you have you're you're leaving the theater humming the theme. Yeah, until you until someone says stop humming that theme, and then they say, <laughs> "Knock it off." But, yeah. Is that what they say? I mean, that you're just running that risk, I guess. That's what your wife says to you, I'm sure. Yes, that is what my wife says to me, <laughs> and and also strangers at the theater, you know, trying. You to know, get, I've had you know. two, as, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know. I've had two kids since we started the podcast five years ago. And every time I drop something on the floor and uh, or like our, our baby would drop something, I would then lower her. I'm sure you've seen like Instagram videos and stuff where people, they lower their baby in the, I forget what it's called now, but it's the, I'm, 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 I can't believe I forget what it's called, but there's the thing where you bundle the kid up in the the thing. I haven't had a baby in a while, so I can't remember what it's called, but you know, you, you know they're bundled up so they, they can't, their arms can't move. It helps them sleep. Right. So it's like, and they, you, if you hold them by that, you lower them. And so people would, lo- on Insta- you'll see on Instagram, people do this sometimes. They lower, maybe because I'm on like baby Instagram, I, I follow like more parenting <laughs> accounts. So I see this stuff, but they lower the baby just like, like Ethan and Langley to go pick something up or to, to get a, um, you know, something off the ground. They'll, they'll, they'll get, uh, what is it called? I can't remember anything that ch- children things anymore. Charles, I don't have a child, so I have no idea what the hell you're talking <laughs> Why about. Why can't I remember these things? I'm, yeah, the pacifier. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so the, they lower the baby to go get a pacifier off the ground, and they, you, they'll they put the Mission Impossible thing. Anyway, when my kids would drop something, even now as they're older, if they drop and they drop something, I, I'll lower them to go get it, and I'll I'll uh, I'll hum the Mission Impossible theme for them. I've given it lyrics. It's you know it's it's a part of my life. 
It's part of all our lives, Drew. It really is. It really is. <laughs> What's the next point on your list, Drew? <laughs> You're loving this. <laughs> I'm um, loving it. <laughs> so uh, as sort of an extension of the music, I'm going to say something that I absolutely love about these movies and the show going back is the opening credits. Charles, you're picking some pretty wild choices for reasons <laughs> that we love these movies. Well, just think about it, though. The, the, the opening credits of the show, were they were unique because they were never the same episode to episode. Yes. And they, they would show you clips of later, what, was, what appeared later in the episode. They would show you those clips and they would put that at the beginning of every episode. It would be a new title sequence every single episode. And then the movies have now carried on that tradition as well. Uh, two and three did not, sadly, but thankfully Ghost Protocol brought it back. And then they've done it for all the movies since then. And it was in Brian De Palma's first movie as well, where they show you shots from later in the movie. And they do that for the opening credits. And obviously for uh, the first movie and for Ghost Protocol, we had the great Kyle Cooper doing the title sequences who did, uh, he did seven, David Fincher seven, which is one of the great title sequences ever. We're trying to get him on the show. We've talked to him a, a few times where we're still working on that. And then of, of course, since Rogue Nation now, Rogue Nation, Fallout and Dead Reckoning Part One, the Filmograph guys and their amazing work on the title sequences. But it's so cool. They have the, the and then and, and we got to talk about the Dead Reckoning Part One title sequence in particular is so cool because they took the theme of the entity where like it feels like it's like digital kind of like in can you is that the entity's view of what the movie is? It's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The opening credits, I think, are really unique for the movie, the movie series and the TV show. Do you do you disagree with me on this one? Come on. I don't disagree. I absolutely adore it. I feel like the closest we get this day and age is maybe a show will change its title sequence each season. But to have it change every episode really is pretty awesome. Right. And yeah, I mean, the, those are the title sequences are are short films in and of themselves, for sure. I mean, they're works of art. They're like really yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Works of absolutely. art. Absolutely. And Kyle, the work that Kyle Cooper and the Filmograph guys have done in particular is just absolutely astonishing. And yeah, the fine line of you know not giving anything away, but really intriguing you. And you know, yeah, the the Dead Reckoning thing of sort of like is the entity kind of taking over the title sequence? Like what is happening with those yeah. kind of like glitching things? And and the Fallout approach was really cool too, with the flame going through it all. Oh, love it, love it, so good. And it never feels like anything you've seen before, either in another Mission Impossible movie or an episode of the show or anywhere else. They're they're just such complete, dazzling sequences in and yeah. of themselves. It's just an absolute marvel. Can we and, talk for a second, too? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So No, go ahead. I was going to say, can we talk for a second about there's like a, a subset of people that you, we hear about on Twitter and elsewhere. People say they close their eyes for the opening credits. For the first time they see the movie because they don't want anything spoiled. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the filmmakers are not showing you anything that they don't want you to see. Yeah. And also, so few movies these days have a proper title sequence at all. Yeah. Like, and you're getting the best title sequence you could. Like, just sit there. And it's such a great table setting for the rest of the movie. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's the best. So good. I actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Charles, but when we saw Ghost Protocol, I thought that there had been phony stuff in the title sequence because I thought, no way is, is an actual missile going to get yes. sent. I remember you, you saying know. that. You were like, no yeah. way. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. And it did. It did. And it did. Yeah. It's amazing. 
Yeah. Um, they're so great. And also we should say that the filmograph guys who are brilliant designed our logo for our show, which is such an honor to have them do that. And and they helped. They also did our trailer as well, our, vis- our video trailer for the show before we launched. That's right. And they also have carried on a new tradition of the curtain raiser, as it's called, a kind of main on end um, that was introduced in Fallout that we hope is coming back for eight. Yes. Uh, they had a great just... I love the end part one card at the end of yes. Dead Reckoning. I was we, we, I was going back and watched Rogue Nation recently for something, and I just the 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 curtain call thing came up at the end, and it was there. It, they had the red fuse approach for Rogue Nation. Oh yeah, that one is so great too. Yeah. It's just like every single one they did is so unique, so distinct, so great. Just um, they all suit each movie. There's perfectly. It's so great. So anyway, yes, opening credits. I just had to, and I guess that also means the. The, the curtain call closing credits as well uh, but the credits are just done so well in these movies and going back to the old show just love it we'll be back with more after the break check out our new NBA show Beyond the Arc part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network where you can find me John Gonzalez NBA insider Bill Ryder and Ashley Nicole Moss Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. I guess my last thing, I have a bonus as well, but the last thing I will say before the bonus, my fifth one is, and this is something that that has come up in recent years, is now the stunts. And this is when Tom Cruise became the new Jackie Chan, essentially. Right. (laughs) And that was Ghost Protocol. When the obsession for us really took completely hold of our lives and took over uh, to the detriment of everything else in our lives, we've now (laughs) become completely obsessed with mission. Part of it, I think, is... What Tom Cruise did in Ghost Protocol and since then now in every one of these movies that like the Burj Khalifa stunt being on the side, actually being on the side. And I feel like some people argue, okay, MI2, the mountain climbing scene. That's true. Like there is a he has always kind of you could even say in the first movie too, the aquarium restaurant blowing up. He actually jumped out and all those all that water could have fallen him, could have severely injured him or he maybe even killed him. He actually did that stunt. So all those stunts like they, they go back to the first one. But the Burj Khalifa stunt was a whole other thing. That was another level that still I don't think has been reached in movies ever. And a, and a sequence where the stunt is the flag that the entire sequence is built around. Yes. Which has become a hallmark of the movie since then, too. It's like, yeah. it's not just a crazy stunt in an in a everyday scene or an everyday sequence. It is a stunt that <laughs> commands the entire sequence. And I would argue maybe commands the entire movie because 
the shorthand sometimes that you hear from people is, is that the one where he's on the building or the right. one where he's hanging off the plane? Yeah, you know, and exactly. it's like <laughs> that's that's the level these stunts have permeated the kind yeah. of cultural consciousness. Which is amazing. And it's like, you know, growing up when I saw Jackie Chan for the first time and they, that trailer for Rumble in the Bronx, there was like the man who does all his own stunts. Now, like, that's that's Tom Cruise's thing now. Like, that's how these movies are advertised and talked about. That was not a thing before Ghost Protocol. And that's part of what makes these movies so special is that, like, what is Tom Cruise going to do next? Like, And obviously with the motorcycle jump in, in uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and, and, uh, and not only Tom, but all the other actors, too, that we talked to since the start of this, the, the relaunch of the show is like all the other actors on top of that train actually fighting. And you look at other movies that have come out even in this year where people are supposedly on top of a train, but they're clearly not. <laughs> and like you watch Dead Reckoning Part 1 and you see these actors are actually on top of a train that's going 70 miles an hour and you feel it. You feel the difference. And that's special to these movies. Yes. We love the stunts. We love talking to everybody that participated in the stunts. We want to be in a stunt. <laughs> I want to be squibbed. I know that's not really that doesn't really fit in with the the kind of PG thirteen of the movie, but maybe a director's cut or something I could just get really you want to get squibbed. torn up. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can get like a John Woo's director cut of MI two and he can film some extra footage of you of getting me. shot up by Ethan. Oof. I would love that. Let me let me throw in another one, Charles. This might be your bonus one, but let me just throw in that I think another thing that sets this apart is the humor. In these movies, where the humor comes from, how sharp and witty everything is, yes. how the humor comes visually, like sometimes in these stunts, obviously like the rope being too short in Ghost Protocol, that whole back and forth is is born of this kind of visual gag. Yeah. But also the the dialogue is so good and so funny. Yeah. And so knowing too. Like the fact that these movies are about movies and that also, you know, like you said, they're kind of commenting on the fact that they are movies and they're making the movie. And it does set it apart in a really interesting way. And I think we saw in Ghost Protocol, the franchise kind of fully embrace that humor in a way that they have in the installments since. I mean, they're all yeah. funny, I, I would argue. But I think four on really established, OK, these movies can be really funny and really playful yeah. in a great way. And I 100 percent agree. And that's and Ghost Protocol, I think, is also where they really hit upon the idea of reluctant hero Ethan, of him seeing this insurmountable task in front of him and his reaction to it being really funny. Yes. You know, like before that in the first three movies, when these things came up, but he's going to have to do something really crazy. He, he, it would get into like sort of determined Ethan mode and not to say there's anything wrong with that. Those, those movies are great and I love those moments and I love those sequences, but ghost protocol touched on this new idea of Ethan you know, when when Benji reveals to him the floor, the, the like the left floor that they're on, you know, it's a 110 or whatever. And then Ethan's reaction, he's just like, what? You know, like this reluctance and, uh, you know, like, like even earlier in the movie, too, when he's got a clothesline, uh, he's got a, a, a zip line to to go off the side of the building. And, you know, he's, he doesn't want to jump off the side like there, there's a new uh and you know i know that that what brad bird had talked about uh with us and we've heard everybody say this uh that we've talked to about ghost protocol that he was inspired by die hard and, and indiana jones and and having that reluctant hero in there and i think that that really gives it something really special from these last 
these last now four or five and six and seven. So, you know, it's like a whole new, I think Ethan's character, they really hit his stride with ghost protocol in finding that, that feeling of, of Ethan being like, <laughs> actually it's a lot of it is Benji being like, Oh yeah, he can handle that. It's fine. <laughs> and Ethan being like, wait, what do I really have to do that? <laughs> right. And also screwing up, which is such a wonderful yes. part that four introduced and has really been built in to the last few movies. Yes. That idea of <laughs> yeah. things not going to plan or him missing a train or, you know, like all of these things that yeah. are setbacks and just add to the complication, add to the humor and the excitement and thrills. And the humanity. The humanity, the humanity of the characters. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, absolutely. I, I also, I don't want to discount because they're, they're, they don't want to discount the humor of the first three movies because there are really some great, wonderful moments. But I just think that the that it was a little bit of a pivot, I think, in, in, with Ghost Protocol with where they went with the humor. Because there's some really great, funny moments in three, you know, in the Vatican when they open up the sewer and look up in the car and it's like, hey, what's up? What's up with you? Like, like little moments like that are really funny and great. Yeah. But uh, but it's it's a different... It's yeah, I think that what you're talking about is something that really made it special starting from Ghost Protocol. Yeah. I think I know what your bonus is. Can I can I guess it? You're gonna guess it? Okay, let's see. Yeah. What is it? I'm gonna say that you're gonna say the look of these movies. I mean, we could probably add another five <laughs> that's not my bonus. <laughs> but yes, absolutely the look of these movies. I mean, it goes I know such an important part of our show and what we do is we're trying to bring attention to the amazing artists and craftspeople, everybody who who put these movies together from cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, all these people. And so, yeah, the cinematography of these movies, or maybe you're referring to also the look in terms of production design and costumes too. I don't know. What do you, what do you refer to when you're saying the look? I am, I am referring specifically to cinematography, but I think that each movie's kind of beautiful symphony of production design and art design and cinematography. It's just amazing that they sync up so perfectly in each movie. I mean, just, yeah, like we've said, just the greatest artists in their field come together to work on these movies. And we love celebrating that. And I love how, just like we talked about with the music as well, like each of these movies has a completely different look. That even extends to the three McCory movies now. Each one looks totally different. Rogue Nation looks so gorgeous and elegant in its own way. And then Fallout is this whole other different kind of beautiful look to it that is like darker and and wonderful. And then and then there's like brighter colors now in Dead Reckoning and the energy of the camera movement in Dead Reckoning. I mean, it's just totally different looks. Yeah. For all these movies. And they're all wonderful. But no, that's not my bonus. Okay, what is your bonus? Tell us now. This is this is a little corny. I'm going to say it, but I think my bonus of why why I love Mission Impossible now in doing this show, as we've learned in the last five years, I'm going to say, is the fandom. Absolutely, absolutely. The fans, the the, the people that we you know we started the show wondering, are there other people like us out there who love these movies? And what we found is the answer is a resounding yes, and that the people are so great and wonderful, and supportive of each other's thoughts about the movies i mean you see all these other like fan bases for other franchises and stuff and they argue and they they get mad about who well, that, how could you like that movie this movie whatever everybody has completely different opinions on these movies and everybody's supportive of that of each other in that way i love that and, it, and you know they're also very cordial i mean even people that aren't totally as crazy about it as we are Everybody watches and loves these movies, and everybody wants to reach out to us. And I think always think it's so funny when I get a text from somebody that maybe I haven't heard of or haven't heard from in a while, and they say, 
I know you talk about Mission Impossible all day, but do you want to talk about, you know, Seven with me? And it's like, are you kidding me? This is like when <laughs> when we have a new movie coming out, that's when everybody kind of becomes a part of the conversation in such a fun way. And yeah, we couldn't be more happy. So please reach out. Yeah, we love it. Please reach out to us on social media and everywhere. And we've had, we have we have such a, a wonderful relationship with all of our former Patreon members who are still so supportive of the show and they they are such huge fans of these movies and it's just been such an amazing thing to get to know all these people and to have them part of our lives now. I and mean, we we hung out with Jacob. We've talked about Jacob from Holland on our show for years, so people have heard his name. We hung out with him in Rome. Yeah. Which was just a blast. It was so fun. Um, so yeah, it just, it's, that was a, a bonus I wanted to throw in there that I just love the the fans that we've met. I agree. And I'll also say, you know, that, that we, these are, these are people who, who we have been brought into contact with because of the franchise, but have really become friends and, and all the guests we've had on and we always, we still check in with everybody. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's an amazing, lovely community of just pure positivity. That's a good addition to I wasn't even thinking in terms of like the guests that we've met too and have become friends with. Obviously, people who've worked on the movies, of course, we love all them. But but like the like Patrick Willems, yep. you know, and and Kendra and yep. uh, you know and Ben. Dave, I was just texting with Ben David Gravinsky earlier today. Yep, Bilga, and that's amazing too because Bilga's been my favorite critic for years. So to meet him was is crazy. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride, but we've enjoyed every second of it. And if you've enjoyed every second of this podcast, can I just implore you to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, like, subscribe, rate and review and just give us something. Give us a few stars. Anything. Yeah, we need it. Well, give us five stars, maybe five, five or nothing is what I would say. Five or walk away. Yeah. Five or keep <laughs> your mouth shut. Um. We have new episodes every Tuesday, so you have uh, so many chances, too, to review us and tell people about us. Oh, I wanted to tell people something, too. In case you missed this, we released a video of the first 10 minutes of our chat with the cast of Dead Reckoning Part 1 in New York. We released that video now, so you can watch that on YouTube if you'd like. We We can put it in the show notes for this episode. Do it, people. What are you waiting for? I don't get it. Obviously, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is still playing exclusively in theaters. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see it one more time on the biggest screen you can. I was talking to somebody, not a guest, but somebody, uh, another filmmaker who just went and saw it again in Sherman Oaks. Just one last time, baby, on that big, big, big screen. Yeah. Um, what do, do we know what is going on next week? Well, we've got some people we're working on, hopefully we'll be recording with, that hopefully will be up next. But I don't want to jinx it in case we don't get them. But okay. we are talking to, I know people have been asking us to talk about what our thoughts of Dead Reckoning Part 1 are. And so we are working on getting uh, at least one, maybe more uh, people on the show to just to talk about the movie itself. And and then, then that's where we will speak with that, uh, with those people and we'll get into what we think of the movie as well. So we're excited to do that. That's how that's coming soon. And then, of course, we're, we've got, um, as we've teased before, uh, Charles Parnell. We've teased also uh, Simon Pegg coming back and uh, editor Eddie Hamilton and uh, and more. So we've got we've got more people we're, we're working on and uh, there's plenty more to come. Excited for you all to hear it. In the meantime, why don't you follow us on social media, Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram and Twitter, uh, as well as Facebook. And if you want to follow the official Mission Impossible account, that's Mission Film on Twitter, Mission Impossible on Instagram. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be back with more fun stuff. I hope you know. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think it's pretty fun. Uh, but you know, if we're if I'm wrong, you can tell us that too. You can you can message Drew and let him know. Yeah, just <laughs> I'll, I'll have fun. That's what's important. Yeah. So <laughs> Charles already tells me that he doesn't enjoy me. But if you want to do that too, <laughs> you can do that too. But we'll be back next week. It'll be a really fun episode, and we can't wait to be back. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. 